This year, things are different. I mean, there is an energy here, the number of young people here. This month, Farmerama is at the Oxford Real Farming Conference. The diversity of the people represented here, I mean, right through from, you know, the Land Workers Alliance back, you know, Occupy movements to radical people and um, people who are crossing the floor, or in this case the road from the other conference, mainstream farmers, it's incredible. I mean, it really, something is happening here. Patrick Holden, who's chief executive of the Sustainable Food Trust. Now, the other conference is the Oxford Farming Conference, which is not to be confused with the Oxford Real Farming Conference. And it takes place at the same time, just down the road. That could be confusing. It's quite confusing. Uh, But we'll get our heads around it. Colin Tudge, who co-founded the Oxford Real Farming Conference, says the difference is that the other conference is about farming purely focused on increasing profits whereas the Oxford Real Farming Conference is about agroecological farming methods, farming focused on feeding the world, supported by sustainable enterprises that don't harm the planet. Too much. Too much. Don't harm the planet too much along the way. I love the way there's this sort of alchemy of um, different ideas and perspectives interacting with each other in extraordinary ways, and the world is complex and diverse, ecosystems are complex and diverse and we've got a food ecosystem culture thing going on here at at Oxford which is I never thought I'd see the day it's a beautiful thing the Farmerama team have been here talking to a huge mix of growers and scientists and getting stuck into discussions throughout the week here's a grower writer and self-proclaimed mud herder Kate Collins I think bringing together some of the thoughts that resonated with many throughout the couple of days. Um, I think it's really interesting to have the big estates guys, so the National Trust, the Duchy of Cornwall, um, in, a, in a session, shortly followed by an access to land session. It's really nice to have all those people in, in the same conference. I didn't really expect the big estates guys to appear here, so it's really interesting to see them. So there was a couple of, um, I think it was John Vultry, he, his original presentation was very much a halfway kind of meeting place. Some meetings of mine, but I think there might be still a long way to go for other minds. (laughs) There's still very much a sense that the two conferences represent different worldviews and that only so much talking is possible or even desired. But this year, there was certainly a focus on discussions that cross barriers and link up everyone. I think that the debates that particularly have interested me, one of which I was involved with yesterday, uh, have been um, ways in which we can change the business case, as conventional people would put it, or the economics of sustainable food production in such a way that it it can, can become profitable for more farmers. Because at the moment, the truth is that all the people here that have farmed in some cases for many years sustainably... Um, have done so knowing that they'll make less money than if they farm in an exploitive and intensive way. And they've either subsidised the losses with a day job like I have or they've been entrepreneurs and they've developed niche markets or they've just accepted the fact they make virtually no money. And that's fine, but if we want this thing to become mainstream, which we need it to, uh, the economics of it have to change. Most of the world's food is still produced by smallholder farmers. And so it's really important that... um, 
the role of smallholder farmers is acknowledged and that in a way the small can be the beautiful representation of the cellular nature of all food systems. There's nothing wrong with larger scale operations per se as long as they adhere to the same laws and principles. Uh, big is not necessarily bad but I think if you are big or you have access to large resources you have greater responsibilities to use them wisely and to practice stewardship. Uh, so I think that we, I'm, I'm making the case for coexistence really. I'm simply saying if we're too angry and too against them, them being big, bad and industrial, I think we forget the fact that we're standing in front of now a, a global ecological crisis and we've got to work more inclusively if we're going to stand any chance of uh, avoiding a, a Guyan population collapse, which people like James Lovelock are predicting now. A's for the AC, the sticks in your year. B is for barley, with which we make beer. C is for seasons, we know them right well. D is for cow dung, of which we all smell. E's for E over there, pinching is sweet. F for the effort that every farm needs. G is for good, it's a word as don't know. H is for holiday, where shall us go? Now, Nigel and I are in the Farmer Mama studio, uh, but Abby is doing her links from the vegetable garden on her family's farm in Chile, where she jetted off straight after the conference. We'll be hearing more from Abby out there in the next show. Uh, but here she is now uh, to tell us about what tickled her pickle in Oxford. It was actually an art project that really caught my attention. It's called A Field of Wheat. It's the culmination of two years of exploration of the breadbasket of the UK by artists Anne-Marie and Ruth. They had a sort of open call to anyone who wanted to become a collective investor slash stakeholder slash advisor of a 22-acre field on Peter's conventional farm in Lincolnshire. And it all started with them planting some wheat. Here are Anne-Marie and Peter explaining a bit more. Two uh, artists came and approached me and were talking about doing this project, which is to grow a field of wheat as an art project. And, and being a farmer from Lincolnshire and a bit backward, I sort of had this vision of painting it pink and carving shapes with combines or I don't know quite what. It's a different type of art, really. What we're trying to do is draw people um, into conversation with each other and also t for them to get to understand arable farming in more detail through focusing our collective gaze on one particular field of wheat in Lincolnshire. We've created a small collective of around 40 people and they're all from really diverse um, backgrounds. So some of them are from farming industry, some of them are local residents who maybe live rurally but have no idea about farming, some are academics, some are artists. It's a real intentional um, cross-disciplinary mix. Part of the project incorporates this rather curious idea that's been adopted from the Quaker uh, religion, where people speak and then others take time and stop and consider and then someone else speaks. So through this collective, the idea is that everybody's views are valid because we've got such a diverse view uh, across the collective. And everybody's view is equally relevant and equally important. And somehow we have to bring all these diverse views together to manage and grow a crop of wheat. Through the cycle of the growing of the wheat through to the harvest time, 
we provide opportunities for them to physically come together on the farm or, for example, on trips that we're doing um, off the farm to look at the wider stories around wheat farming. So that could take in um, history, it could take in ecology, the culture. Um, wheat is a big part of our culture. It's one of the basis of our sort of civilization. So what we're trying to do is bring together the practical basis of farming with all those other elements um, and explore those through different forms of dialogues. What I'm beginning to understand now is how valuable this can be in terms of getting a message out to a, a large number of people with a very diverse view. It's something I've campaigned about individually for a very long time about sustainable farming and trying to promote sustainable farming within the 95% of farmers who use agrochemicals and fertilisers and things. And the idea that you can use art to promote that is something that's, well, initially totally alien to me, but now I'm beginning to understand and beginning to get really quite excited about. What we're trying to look at is saying, what is the current system? What is the dominant current system? We need to look at that. We need to really understand that. And do we like what we see? Are we okay with it? Are we okay with low-input conventional? Are we okay with really high input? Do we want to switch to a different system altogether? Do we want to stop growing grains? And maybe out of it is the, the, sort of the beginning of a way forward for farming as a whole. In some ways, it feels as if it could actually scale up, make a conversation between farmers and consumers, this conversation that we seem to be unable to have so maybe we could be reunited, maybe we could have this conversation, and maybe we could develop a kind of farming that not only uh, delivers a farmer a decent income and, and a return on his investment, but also we start to deal with the, all these social issues, environmental issues, that are such an important part of farming. Arable is something that's really hidden in our culture. I'd never been out... I didn't think I was allowed kind of out into the big fields, you know? It's somewhere that you're not necessarily allowed to go. You feel like you're trespassing. In fact, you never see anyone on the land. If you're on a train in the UK, it's very, very rare that you even see somebody in the field. So what does it feel like to be there? If it's a monoculture, what does that feel like? What's growing around the edges? All that detail around what is this piece of land doing and are we happy with the way that our relationship with it we're exploring? <laughs> what it has done is expanded my understanding a lot more of... Uh, other people's views around farming, food. Uh, so essentially I'm sort of revisiting decisions that I made many years ago and have always stuck with, and I'm beginning to question those decisions now um, and, and wondering whether I am doing the right thing. I think one of the things that I've learned through coming to things like the Oxford Real Farming Conference, uh, talking to members of the public at, at public events and things, is that the public have a huge understanding of farming. Uh, and I often find that members of the public actually have a far greater understanding of farming than I have of their, of their lives and the pressures and difficulties they face in their lives. And I think the, what this is bringing out is a, this divorce between the farmer and the consumer. We've got farmers who wouldn't recognise a member of the public if they fell over one now because they, they become insular. They don't talk to members of the public. They only talk to other farmers. And we've got members of the public who believe that farmers are nothing more than subsidy junkies who drive around in Range Rovers shouting, get off my land. Neither is true. And the only way I think that we can ever make any sense of this 
situation and bring farming back to its roots, back to its consume, to the consumer, and actually start to deliver what the British public want in terms of food, social support, a, a vibrant rural economy, and good environmental benefits, is by bringing the farmer and the consumer back together so they can talk to each other. And if it's through things like the Field of Wheat project that we can do that kind of thing, then let's bring it on. Farmerama are now a member of the collective too. We invested. So we will be helping to decide how the wheat is farmed, where the wheat is going, who it's sold to. Will it be wheat for humans or for animals? Or maybe it will not be sold as a food product at all. This project is definitely about building bridges and fits with the familiar Farmerama theme that things that sing to us are the ones that consider the whole process from humans to soil. We are so behind building bridges and discussions across the divide to form answers for the future. But what compensations are going to be made? Or is it not like that? Why are these discussions important? What about doing? I guess for me that's the beauty of this art project, the Field of Wheat, is that they are actually doing and discussing at the same time. So there is an outcome. Uh, a, f a whole field of wheat will be grown and, you know, people will either uh, lose money, make the same, or maybe gain money. Um, they'll see the effects on the field, the soil. They'll understand uh, the markets, how that will affect everything. Uh, we'll help decide whether we use chemicals or pesticides or fertilizers or not. And so many different perspectives, perspectives are coming in, feeding into that discussion. Um, so it will both be doing and talking at the same time, debating at the same time. I is for the interest on our overdraft. J is for Jane with which we go down. K is for Clifton, a pallet of cake. She's an eleven maid, what a farmer she'll make. And is for mother, I make her pay her way. With the N in the chicken house and the eggs that they lay. O is for O Lord, and to him we pray, for the P is a pig as its litter today. The trend towards well-being as part of health provision has created a great opportunity for farming, as people begin to understand links between the integrity of what we eat and our health. It seems to be something we're seeing more and more of. Back in episode two, we spoke to Tom O'Kane of Kai Tai CSA in Swansea, he is a very inspiring grower who runs his CSA as a wider community project, working with local young people, councils and more. And in Oxford, we met another young grower from Wales. Uh, he was inspired by Tom's thinking and is taking it one step further and setting up a CSA in the grounds of a hospital. Regular roving reporter Ben Raskin of the Soil Association spoke to him to find out more. Me and, me and a, a friend of mine, they see bumped into the CSA model about six months ago and now me I've always wanted to grow veg on a bigger scale than just like a hobby um, but I didn't want to do it on my own doing it on the farm is quite I just don't want to do it on my own I want I want to be working with other people and the CSA model just ticked all those boxes for me yeah. took a bit of the risk away well shared the risk but, um, but yeah so we went to the Welsh gathering in the summer and met especially Tom O'Kane from the Gower Power 
and he just inspired us just to go for it. Um, and we're at the point now where we're in contact with um, a small hospital outside Brecon with land around its two and a half, three acres of usable um, horticultural land. And basically that's where we're hoping to start our CSA. So you'll then, will you rent the land from the hospital or are they going to let you use it? They'll let us use it because yeah. the cost for them to have to manage it, yeah. just as gr grassland is, is well, it's, it's cheaper for them to let us use it. But they also like the idea of the CSA being there because they're, they're sort of 50% of their care is with young dementia sufferers, still physically abled, looking at quite a long life of dementia yeah. um, suffering. So were you, are you thinking there might be opportunities, A, to sort of supply food into the, the hospital, but also had, for people to come out and work from the hospital on the... We hadn't really planned this hospital ground. It was the, the girl who's in, I'm in partnership with, she manages an orchard on the land, which she will do in the future anyway. And just once we started talking to the trustees of the land, they just loved it. And it makes sense, it makes a lot of sense for us. As the, as the hospital moves to a, like a wellbeing centre, Yeah. They say CSA model just works perfect, but there would definitely be so many sort of possible um, work that we could do for them and yeah, they could use us. Yeah. So it, it just seems like a brilliant idea, That's something nice. that all hospitals should do. Well, absolutely. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I added this is not part of this, but I had an idea when I because I used to be a grower, and um, when I stopped, when I decided to stop growing for for other people because I was always employed my idea was to set up a, a farm shop and growing at the time it was sort of independent but you know on a hospital you know next to a hospital with the idea of having this farm shop on the hospital and yeah. supplying into it because it's yeah. about positive health isn't yeah. it? And, you know, it all just makes sense yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah so we're basically waiting for the final confirmation which there is a chance it doesn't work so where we go from then we've still got options yeah. you know um, and, and because you're, you and your friend have both got, got land. sort of land and family farm, is there sort of plans maybe to connect those farms into that CSA at some point? At or more at the moment, it's going to be they're, they're definitely being used, or mine especially, to start it up. So my polytunnel up the farm, I've got quite a large polytunnel, is already growing for the hopeful eventuality right. um, of the CSA going ahead. And so it gives us a, it definitely gives us, and we've got the machinery that goes, you know, the, the farm has grown veg before, so we've got a lot of the machinery to help start us off. We've been to farmers markets and asked to see what the sort of public, the community would buy into it, and there's, there's no problem with getting our original target of 30 members. Um, it's just they won't then, we start sort of wondering where would we go from there. And that's sort of, it's quite hard, because although we started off with a definite plan, in just in the last like four or five weeks it's going oh maybe oh. and that's what I spoke to like this last couple of days has answered quite a few questions but has brought up like ten times more <laughs> so and, and often until you actually get on and start doing it and, and every situation is different every group of people is different and until you've sort of you know you've got that membership group you won't know how yeah. it's going to work probably and like this feeling of a little bit of <laughs> it's actually well that's just a normal feeling you just go with it yeah. you know that's part of the excitement We've heard a few examples of extra land that organisations and trusts own uh, that they are allocating to CSAs for growing veg. Um, it seems to be a win-win solution and it's a really great potential opportunity for budding growers. 
Do you listening to this have any more examples of this? Uh, email us at farmaramaradio at gmail.com or you can find links to other ways to contact us on our website, farmerama.co. Here we are at the Ultra Real Farming Conference 2016. At, we're at the jam factory surrounded by lots of young farmers. It's not a Kaylee, it's better than a Kaylee. Farmerama? Yeah. Farmerama. <laughs> One topic that affects almost all farmers is that of cover crops, as EU regulations continue to restrict chemical use and the importance of the health of our soils becomes clearer, both conventional and organic farmers are returning to the simple cover crop. Okay Nigel, so before we uh, hear a bit more about this, I need to just back up a little bit and what is a cover crop? So Joe, a cover crop it's basically a crop that um, a farmer will plant um, after he harvests um, his main crop as a way of protecting the soil. Basically ensure that there isn't any kind of soil erosion and it just basically, and it can also put some fertility back into the soil as well. How do you get rid of that when you don't want to plant your next field of wheat? So traditionally a lot of farmers would actually till their soil. So they'd turn it over, i.e. plough it. Um, and that, you know, would get rid of the cover crop, you essentially bury that cover crop. Um, but a lot of, um, a lot of farmers will also, um, spray Roundup on their fields. Okay. 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 Well, (laughs) and Roundup is, so Roundup is essentially weed killer. Okay. So, I mean, it seems crazy to me that you're spraying poison all over your field just before you're planting a new crop, right? Increasingly, there are more people that are thinking up um, new ways to make the cover crop um, move on. Peter Brown is director of the Biodynamic Association in the UK, and he's been trying one solution. On a biodynamic farm, one of the main principles is is that you're not buying in inputs or fertilisers or animal feed from off the farm. So that really means that you have to produce all the fertility on the farm. And that's why the newer developments with cover crops are so exciting Specifically, when we're not just talking about a single crop like mustard or lupins or something, but we're talking about these multiple species cover crops. I have to admit, it's only the last years that I've really understood about the root extrudates. Roots are putting out and feeding the bacteria and how that is all working. And and the more one knows about that, the more sense it makes. But the thing is that these crops can come up two, three, four feet high. You know, you can have sunflowers, it can be even taller and, um, and how do you work that in? And on the no-till conventional side, they're of course using Roundup to kill it off. And we've been working with Friedrich Wenz, who's a biodynamic farmer from Germany, who's been doing a lot of work in this area. And he came over last summer and did a workshop with us. And we've been experimenting with that. And we've been growing quite a few fields with these mixed cover crops, with a whole variety of stuff. And we've taken up his idea where we've got this uh, rotavator, which um, can... You know, I think it, t- it works at a thousand revs or whatever, it, it, faster than, than a normal one. But what also makes it special is that you've got wheels on to ensure that you can um, regulate the depth. And so we literally only go an inch into the actual soil, and you can drive across your cover crop um, 
and it'll, it'll chop it all up and mix it with a little bit of soil. And at the same time as we're, we're driving, and, and the reason for the high speed is that you can drive your tractor much faster. Normally when you rotate for your soil, you know, you're sort of crawling across the field. But this an, a, allows you to, to, to get a decent amount done. And we're spraying on EM or our biodynamic um, cow manure spray to help the, the breakdown process. Um, it's not no-till, and that's very difficult to do um, organically, particularly if you don't have hard frost to kill things off. So by having this rotivator method, it, it allows you, it's a, it's a management tool to, to do that whenever you need to do it through, through the summer or the autumn. And um, yeah, and we've, it's only our first season with it, but we're very pleased with the results. And uh, our, our, our winter crops, our autumn crops are coming up very beautifully in, in, in where we've had the cover crops. And although it, it's not got the complete armor of a no-till, um, you've still got all of that crop in the top inch, so most of it is above the soil. So it's, it's a very, very good compromise as far as we're concerned. You know, if you're using, like, vetch and, and, and rye in the, tr the way that one can see with, with a roller crimper and you can actually sow your, your next crop at the same time as you're rolling it, I mean, that, that's optimum in my view. Um, but when you've got a multi-species cover crop, with you know, with buckwheat which can flower quite soon, and facile and all of those things, you don't necessarily want them all going to seed, and 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 they ripen at different stages. So I think this is the way that enables one to do that. And I, I'm very excited at the potential of cover crops in in helping all farms, but you know specifically us as biodynamic farms to to increase our organic matter. Cues for the queue that we like to make. On the R is the road where our time must do take. S is for sheep when they go to new grass. T for the tractor where we sit on our ass. Use for the owls that we knows all about. V is for events when they tries to get out. W's for work we don't get any play with us. I'll see you at Exeter Market next day. Y is for why do we stay on the land? Z for the subsidy that we get in our hand. You can tell from the words our Bill wrote in his book. Old lusty farmers, they paint quite as daft as they look. We want to finish by saying thanks to Robin Gray of Three Acres and a Cow for his singing session at the Farming Conference Fringe. It was such a wonderful addition to the conference, really filled our souls with joy. Um, he took us through a history of land rights and protest, all in folk song. We had our mic there, and you've heard a few clips of it throughout the show. He performs regularly, and you should definitely check him out. We'll link to him on our Facebook page. We're going to close the show as we did the conference, with one of his own songs, The Ballad of Hawkwood. <laughs> 